Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to We Got Balls, and it's the holidays, Scott. Jingle, jingle. I'm so excited about all the Christmas decorations that are out, and uh, you know, the Christmas songs have been out since the 1st of November. Um, my favorite movie in the whole world, Elf, gets played daily from now until Christmas. Uh, my daughter hates it. She's terribly annoyed that I watch Elf over and over again, but you know, it's just a special time of the year, and one of the pieces about um, recovery that I've observed in the last few years is that recovery is tough at the holidays. Recovery is a challenge and there's several factors to that. And so I just want us to have a conversation today about how we can do recovery and do the work that we want to do to stay healthy and connected and be emotionally present in an environment that may be really challenging with a lot of different factors. So for you, when you think about doing recovery work, do, doing your own personal work during the holidays, um, what comes to the top of your mind? Uh, getting triggered. <laughs> triggered. In what way is that? Oh. What, well, how, how do you get triggered? Is oh. it is it is it all the costumes? Is is it the the sweets? No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, it's relationships. Oh, which one, Scott? I wonder which relationships might be possibly triggering to you. Well, you know, this is so timely because we just came out of Thanksgiving. We're going into the We Got Jingle Balls season. (laughs) And and the statistics on this are, and I, I was reminding all my guys, remember, the day after Thanksgiving is the number one porn viewing day of the year. Do you know what oh, the, that's why they call it Black Friday? Yes. <laughs> do, do you know what the second highest porn viewing day of the year is, Chris? Just Christmas out. Day. Nope. Oh, I was so close. It's the day after Christmas Day. Oh, see? So, so you know, this is a time of year where where pornography raises its ugly head as a solution to a problem. And what is the mm. problem? We're back in the situations a lot of times in which we experience a lot of our developmental trauma. We're back with mom and dad. We're back in the homestead. We're back in those kind of, even if, even if our parents have passed on and we're not, or we're not with them, we're with our spouses or we're with our families and families. For those of us that struggle with our sexuality and sexual compulsive stuff, they're a source of stress. So, yeah. Well, I think when we talk about that, it's really important to point out the elephant in the room, which is when we go back into the holidays, there is a sense of reconnecting to our youth. And in some senses, that's a very positive thing. There's joy, there's excitement, there's tradition, but there's also in the places that we've been harmed, there's an embodied experience of what it was like to be that age. Um, I don't know I know you know this, Scott, but I don't know if our listeners know this. Do you know where the majority of memories that uh, come back in around trauma come from? No, I don't, actually. So when your children, if you have children, are the age that you were when you were hurt, those memories are very easily accessed. Oh, that makes sense. So maybe you'll be be having 
Christmas Day um, celebration and kids are opening presents and you flash back to a memory when you were a kid and you were opening a present that you thought was going to be X instead it was Y and it was very disappointing or maybe your parents had a fight and it's the same year your your son or daughter is five or six or seven or eight or ten years old that you were when that happened it just flashes back because there's something in our bodies that reconnects us to these experiences they happen every year um, we really never outgrow them but yet if we don't go back and deal with the experiences and the memories that's why for us Scott that story work is so powerful because we get to re-enter into what we call a younger version of myself that childlike, innocent place where I first had an experience of harm that was not addressed and developed into trauma. Oh man, now you, now I'm really, I'm really thinking about this time of year. Like, there is a big trauma story from growing up at this time of year, and you know I've processed this with you and some other guys before, but it involves. It, it all kind of revolved around, I was baking cookies with my grandma who was with us at the time and mm. it was snowing. We lived in Denver and we wanted to go outside and sled. And there was an agreement by my dad that we could do that. And then he took it back and it created this huge fight between me and him and me throwing a fit and him getting violent with me that my grandma interceded to. I baked cookies with my grandkids and my kids and Every time this year, my wife will say, you go into a depression around Christmas time. Mm. And I don't know if she knew this story very well, but this is why, because there is such a, in my nervous system, Yes, I anticipate this exuberance and joy that gets shut down all the time. Mm. And every time we're back in this scenario, it gets repeated those mm -hmm. neural networks that formed in that trauma experience are evoked by everything that's going on at this time of year. And I've had mm. to confront that over the years. How many of us have stories around the holidays that are like that? Because yeah, that's when the pressure is on, right? That's when everybody's back together. And for a lot of us, our families were the source of a lot of our heartache. And I think you put it very well. It's in your body and it's both the excitement and the anticipation and the joy and the connection and the harm and the loneliness and the trauma. You know my story well. The story that kind of unlocked a lot of things for me was a story around Thanksgiving. It was a story where I was excited about being back with my family, the safest people in my childhood were my dad's extended family, my aunts and uncles and cousins on my dad's side of the family. And we would always get together. We would play football and we'd eat a lot of food. And we would really just, all my cousins are about my age. So we would just have a great time. It really felt like a family. We were there together for two or three days. And there was one particular um, Thanksgiving where we were coming together and I was anticipating this. It had been a really shit year. My grandmother had passed away that year. Um, there was a lot of upheaval in my home life with my mom and my stepdad. And there was just, I was longing for a place to feel at home and feel connected. And in that moment of coming to this place, my dad pulls my sister and I out on the front porch after having picked us up and brought us to, to my, uh, grand, my granddad and my cousin and uncle's place. Um, and he said, I have a surprise for you. 
and he, and we were like, it was great. It's going to stack on top of this anticipatory place. Awesome. You know, in my body, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this surprise. I'm like, this is getting better and better and better. Does it sound like anything? Does it sound like the anticipation of family and tradition and Christmas and presence in the body of a child? And as this word surprise gets tossed out, it literally was the first moment that I can remember I felt like I was stabbed in the heart. Mm. And the surprise was not a surprise for me. Surprise was a surprise for him. And he was getting married to a woman he'd been dating. I knew her a little bit. She had a couple kids younger than me and my sister. And they were, she, he was adopting her, their kids. But the surprise was everything is changing. I'm not going to be here for you as much as I used to be. I'm getting a new family. I'm getting married. And it's happening in two days. And that in my body was like, I've told this story, Scott, you've heard it. It was the literal expression I wrote was it was like the leaves had abandoned their trees. Everything that was supposed to be good and true and colorful and beautiful vanished in that moment. Wow. That's such an apt metaphor for that. Yeah. And so in, in that, that story, as I told it was one of, I didn't know how to express anger, didn't say anything. I didn't know how to express betrayal, didn't say anything. It was one of silence. I began to shut down and disintegrate. And shortly after that was when I was really eager to have a girlfriend and didn't get a girlfriend that was um, sexually satisfying my needs as a young teenage boy and then turned to porn. And so in that space was where that desire for connection was birthed. And yet it was around the holidays. It was around Thanksgiving. Hmm. It was around that tension of delight and despair that lives within so many of us. And so when we bring up this topic, what we're really doing, and I know, Scott, you have a lot to say about this. We're really inviting you to be, to be compassionate to your younger self to be present with the things that you're feeling and thinking, and you've maybe have done your whole life and never given a second thought to it. But like you described, Scott, you get really emotional or you get really angry or you get really, really withdrawn or really sad in this time of year. And you don't know why there is a story to tell in that place. It's waiting to be heard and seen and loved. And, and because this is a time of year when the anticipation of delight and your desires are high, the potential for having lots of stories of disappointment and deflation and despair are significantly mm. higher than at any other time of the year. Yes. Right? And it's so loaded. It's so we're loaded. literally carrying around a loaded emotional gun. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yeah. Like the... There are so if you, if you can just understand from a neurobiological standpoint, and, and this goes back to the idea of the difference between state shame and trait shame. State shame is when we're in this state of exuberance and delight and exploring it starts in childhood as we begin to be toddlers and we go out and we're ooh, exploring the world and we pick up the porcelain figurine and start banging it because it sounds fun to do that. And our mother comes in and she shows disgust on her face and anger, put that thing down. And she doesn't have to say a word, but just her expression shuts us down. Neurobiologically, we drop the figurine, we fall on our butts, we slink our heads, 
and start to cry because we feel in our bodies this incredible deflation from that state of exuberance. That's state shame. But when that kind of shame-based experience is replicated over and over and over again in our developmental years, and these, that story you just told was just a deflation, all the air went out of your balloon. Absolutely. You had to feel like you had to feel a sinking, get me out of here. Like, I don't want to be. And anytime we have this incredible desire and there's an incredible disappointment like that, it's deflationary. And it's, and, but when that happens over and over again and it's not repaired or it happens in an unprincipled way, that state of shame becomes a trait. It becomes hardwired into our view of ourselves. I'm a bad, worthless person. This is all I deserve. Nobody cares about me. Nobody wants me. And that's why we struggle. And, and all that it takes in that trait of shame, Scott, and this was totally what I was referring to when I said I started looking for a girlfriend, was I did feel like I was a bad, worthless person. I need something outside of me to make me feel better. Yeah. And some experience. And for different people, it's different things. For most of you guys listening, it was something sexual. It was masturbation. It was porn. It was acting out with other people. It was um, voyeurism. It was whatever the availability was for you in that time. You know, for me, it was, I know at some point we're going to talk about body shame, but the one thing that I remember very clearly about bodies is that right after this experience, man, my radar for attractive women went off the charts. I was looking for a, a, a girl, a female to see me. And the more attractive she looked physically, I mean, uh, when I went to the pool that next summer, I was in heaven because I was looking for the bathing suits and, and the girls who could just take that pain away from me. Yeah. who could medicate my broken heart. And that became my drug. It became my compulsion. So the Kurt Thompson line, we, we all come into the world looking for somebody looking for us. Here's my addition to that. And when we don't find them in our home, we'll keep looking until we find them. Yeah. We'll keep looking and, elsewhere. And we're, and stacking on top of what Kurt just said, this is Kurt Thompson, uh, double dip. What becomes true for me is what's true in my body. When I look for something else, what is it that happens in my body that makes me feel like oh, this is better than all the shit I just dealt with at home? This feels good, whether it's porn, masturbation, hooking up, drugs, alcohol, substances, um, popularity, um, work, whatever it is that in my body, it feels like a relief. That becomes the truth that I feel like my life can be built on. And guys, when it comes back to this time of year, I want to just stack on that phrase. We are literally going back into the environments where we experience these things. Sometimes the same house. Those environments evoke the relationship. It's the relationship yes. and where the where the real damage is done. Yes. It's not your house. It's just that your house reminds you of your relationship with your mother and father. So right. here's the thing. If I'm damaged in relationship, I'm going to go looking outside of my family for that sense of comfort, care, connection. In the story you just told, your father makes it all about him. Yep. 
he can't understand or he refuses to understand that delivering this news to you at a really special time of the year when everybody's together is an asshat move to make. And so what does that do to your heart? It teaches you mm. life is not found in the family. Mm. So where are you going with this? Because I'm, I'm, I'm hearing something. You tell me where you're going with it. Well, you learned that life was not to be found in your family. So you took your heart elsewhere and you found it in a fantasy connection with girls or pornography or whatever. And for so many of us, the reason the holidays are so triggering is because we're back to being reminded that life is not found in my family. And even if I'm married and even if I have kids, it can seem at times like the demands are on me to just give, 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 give. And it's all about what everybody can get from me because that's how I was treated growing up. It's not that my family today is like that. It's like they evoke that perception in me because of all my harm. And so what I have to be able to do is engage how I'm reenacting parts of my story right here, right now, as the holidays are occurring. And how did I learn to take my heart outside of my family to receive care and comfort and connection? And for a lot of us, it's sex It's sex because it's an easy, easy way to get pleasure out of the pain. Yeah. So I'm going to use a word, Scott, a word that I've had to work through and maybe many of our listeners about to work through. It's the word should. At the holidays, what should you be doing? And the places that I have found the most shame and reenactment of that family harm was in going back to physical locations, but definitely to relational dynamics where I need to show up and make everybody else happy, put on a face, pretend for a day, two, three Lord, there used to be a week at certain points in my life to do what I should do at the holidays. And, and really, there's a pull to that because everybody else is doing the same thing, too. So that's what we do at the holidays. We go home. We be with family. And yet that pull between should and want is so strong. What you just talked about, I should be with my family. I want to be free. I want to be connected. I want to feel like I am my own man. And, and let me take it even a little further in your story. You said, when my dad says, I have a surprise for you, your exuberance, your anticipation of joy is high. And then he drops the bomb. But there's silence. Yes. Where's your anger in that story? Unacceptable. So it's buried. Even- even prior to this event, you had already been trained by your family system. You're not allowed to have anger about your disappointments. Right. right. Because in this story, you know how many times I was asked what I thought about this process, about getting married? Exactly. For those of you who are on, uh, on podcast, Scott's saying zero. And zero is correct. Because I was never asked, what do you think about this? It was told. And I was supposed to toe the family line. Oldest, boy, do what dad says. And that 
dichotomy for us guys at the holidays is what feels like such of a bind, whether it's in your family that you've created with your wife and kids or when your family of origin or just even extended family dynamics, the, the ability to show up and be your true self is so difficult because so many of our families still operate in a shame-based honor culture system. Which is what that should is all about. You should be happy exactly. for me, Chris. I'm getting exactly. married. Exactly. And so the way that we have to really negotiate the holidays and do recovery is twofold. Number one, and we haven't talked about this, but I think it's important. We have to stay connected. Most of us that are doing this work, and I would say everybody that's doing it profitably and in a healthy way, have a, have a rhythm of connection, whether it's phone calls or meetings or people that we reach out to, people that are safe to say anything to. We reach out to them and we are in a, a pattern of connecting with them. But, you know, the holidays breaks that pattern. I don't go to the meetings that I always go to. I don't make the phone calls. Maybe I'm traveling. Maybe I have to be, you know, at this location. I don't feel safe. And so all the emotion that would normally be processed through my pattern of recovery gets constipated, gets stuffed down. And so we've got to be really intentional, really intentional about the connection about about reaching out and saying the things that we're really feeling. Where do you feel like you should do this and you're not free to? What do you really want to do? I mean, you, do you know what I really wanted to tell Charles in that moment, Scott? Yes. It's what I wrote in my journal. F you. <laughs> Fuck you, Charles. Fuck you. And I'll say it here because in that moment at 15 years old, nobody was there in my body to give me the freedom to say that. And those are very emotionally charged words because I was angry and I was in grieving the loss of the hope of a relationship with my dad at a very tender age. I didn't know what the future looked like. I was afraid. And so all, all that being said, those are things that have to be expressed in these times, in this season of the year. And I would say, too, also, you need to anticipate being triggered. So we've, we've spent a lot of this podcast making the point that you're going to feel triggered. I was telling all my guys last week before Thanksgiving, I'm available to take your calls because you're going back to mom and dad's and you're around family. And that's the source where you got hurt. So call me because you're going to mm -hmm. be triggered. And sure enough, it happened with a ton of guys and it happened mm -hmm. with me. It happened with yeah. me. So um, you've got to just anticipate. Yep. This is a high pressure time of year. I'm back in these relationships where I was hurt in the first place. Stuff is going to be evoked and I've got to have my community on call to help me. But I would also invite everybody to be curious about, particularly at this time of year where the expectations are high, there's a lot of exuberance. There's a lot of anticipation of, of joy and connection and delight. Be curious about your stories where you have high desire and then it mm -hmm. gets crushed. It gets mm -hmm. smashed to the ground in front of you. There's so much of how our desires are disappointed that ends up showing up in where we then take our hearts after that. So, of course, you're going to masturbate to porn at this time of year because that's where you found a lot of life after your disappointment, after your dad mm -hmm. smacked you because you wanted to go out sledding or because your dad surprises you with a 
you know, I'm getting remarried. You don't, I'm going to have another family now. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you're that, not allowed to have your emotions about it. You're not allowed to say, fuck you right. because the appropriate response would be fuck you, dad. And his response should have been, I understand why you feel that way. Yeah. So that is number two. Number, number one, stay connected. Number two, make sure there is space for your desires. And the struggle in, in that is it means using the most powerful and shortest sentence in the English language sometimes. You know what that sentence is, Scott? I'm very curious now. No. <laughs> boundaries. No. Are we talking boundaries? I'm talking boundaries. because, And that's something that I did a few years ago with my family is I, we, would, we went back year after year after year to be with my mom and my dad. Parents are divorced. And one Christmas, I said, you know what? I am not doing Christmas with my mom or my dad. I love them. They live separately, different places. The, the person who I'm most connected with in my family is my younger biological sister. And I, we made time to go see her and connect with her and her husband, her kids. Always love spending time with her. But I did not see my mom and dad. For a Christmas, for a holiday season. Scott, I'm a bad son. I'm a terrible son. But you know what? That was the most peaceful holiday season of my life. And it took having that experience to set that boundary with them to help me decide what I really wanted. What was my real desire? And I have since seen my mom and saw her just a few weeks ago over Thanksgiving. I haven't seen my dad. And my dad and I are at a place where we are not communicating. And um, it's very sad for me because I think about him a lot this time of year. He has moved on and started um, another family. Now he's on his fourth wife. And God bless him. But he is unwilling, and this is after many attempts in my own life, to try to speak the story of harm, that exact story of harm that you know about that I just shared with the listeners to him, invite him to re-enter into that space and see me and care for me. He couldn't do it. He could not bring himself to step off the pedestal, which really, frankly, let's be honest, is not a pedestal of arrogance. It's a pedestal of shame that he's willing to let go of. And he's moving back into the environment in, in his own life that is recreating the dynamics of my grandfather, his dad, that he hated so much. I mean, literally, my sister was telling me about her visit with him over Thanksgiving after we left her house, how it is just exactly like my grandfather. And that's my vow in the saying of setting boundaries and saying no is I am not going to recreate the family dynamics that I was raised in. I'm going to do something different. So let me let me bring up a couple of questions that are coming to mind that I'm sure people in the audience, particularly those from a very religious, you know, Christian perspective are going to be saying at this point, Chris, well, sure. number one, you're supposed to forgive your dad, right? Oh, I have. And I've tried to reconnect to him. This is not about forgiveness, Scott. I have no animosity toward him. This is about relationship. Is my father a safe person? And the answer right now is no. Thank you for that. So, so forgiveness is one thing, but there has to be a willingness to repair on the part of an offending party in order for that forgiveness to really have any meaning. Well, let's talk about what we heard together a few months ago or a month or so ago. 
Forgiveness is a single party action. I can choose to forgive. Reconciliation is a dual party action. It takes two people to reconcile. Yeah. And when both people aren't willing to mutually confess and make restitution for their own harms, then reconciliation is difficult and or impossible. Yep. Let me give you another one. Well, you're a Christian. You're supposed to honor your mother and father. That's not very honoring. I have honored my dad. I told him the truth. I sat across from him at a greasy spoon restaurant in Southern Alabama and sat and bared my soul to him week after week for 12 months to tell him exactly what I felt and invited him to come toward me and see me and love me as his son. And he went a little bit down that road and then did a 180 and not a repentance 180, by the way, a 180 away from me and retreated back to his place of self-protection and to his place of asshatness, to use your term, to... To, to basically say, you're not giving me what I want, so I'm not going to play ball. I have honored my father. I've invited him to an adult relationship, and he doesn't want that. He wants me to be his little boy who does exactly what he thinks is right, and I'm not that little boy anymore. And I think that is such an important point for people to understand that the honorable thing to do with a parent or another relative that has harmed you the honorable thing to do is to be honest with them about how they've harmed you. Yeah. And if they will not receive that, then you have every right to have healthy boundaries and say, if we can't have this conversation, I can't be with you right now because mm. you're dishonoring me. You're dishonoring mm. what I experienced at your hands that really set me up for a struggle in my life. And until you're willing to hear that, and this is not about accusation, right? You're not sitting there going, you're bad. I blame you. You're the one that's to blame. But it is an invitation to repair harm in your life. And it takes that other person being willing to admit how they failed and yeah. how they harmed. And so, you know, the, the analogy I like to use is Abraham is called the father of our faith. We honor him as the father of our faith. Yet he sex trafficked his, his own wife twice and he rapes a teenager and then drives her out in the wilderness to die pregnant with the child that he impregnated her with. He is not a perfect man. He is despicable. I want to, I want to follow, follow in the faith of Abraham. Yeah. So there's, there's a huge difference in, you know, rubber stamping behavior. Because, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Behavior is symptomatic. You can have really moral behavior and despicable motives and desires because we're human beings. We're broken. And you can hurt people unintentionally. Exactly. Reality is the reason that people who are loved and appreciated are loved and appreciated is because they come at it from a place of integrity and from the heart. And one of the things that I was grateful for is we're sitting there listening about forgiveness and reconciliation and honoring your parents. My daughter texts me. My 16-year-old daughter texts me. You know what she tells me? All the bullshit that's going down with her and her mom. She gives me the uncensored, because we're away at a retreat and she was back at home, all the uncensored stuff that she's dealing with. And she gave it to me raw and real. And I showed my phone to a friend of mine sitting next to me. And I said, that's honor. Is that I've done the work with my kids to say, you know what? You can tell me anything. Honesty and compassion are our family values. You can say anything to me and I will love it 
and I will accept it and I will sit with it. I will not defend it. I will not argue with it. It's your experience. But I want you to be free as my child to tell me exactly how you feel. Mm, that's so and good. part of that's because of my, my story growing up, right? I, did, I couldn't do that with my parents, still can't for a lot of respects. But also because I think that's how people work best, right? You know, we're talking about kindness and compassion and clarity. Clarity is that honesty. If I can't speak the truth, what are we doing here? But that is so different than the message most of us grew up with. Children should be heard or seen and not heard. You don't yeah. have a right to your emotions. You want something to cry about. I'll give you something to cry about. Particularly in these situations where we have normal, you know, emotional responses to disappointment and heartache and to be shut down with your own emotions. It just is so damaging but to Scott, a person's heart. That doesn't feel like a good family. It feels like a mafia family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so just when you go home for the holidays, are you in the mafia or are you safe? Can you be you and be accepted and loved? And maybe not completely. Nobody's going to stab you in the back. I hope maybe they will. Maybe not with a, with a knife. Maybe it's just with some words, but that's the invitation. That's the desire I have for everybody that's listening to this conversation is stay connected. Absolutely. Stay connected. I have a family. They're just not my biological family. So here's the invitation around the holidays. Instead of asking yourself, why do I go to porn or acting out during the holidays? Ask yourself this question instead. What happened to me during the holidays that makes me want to go to porn and acting out? And then take that information and share that with the people that you can be safe with. And guys, just a little caveat. It ain't your wife. Don't dump this shit on your wife first. Go to, go to your safe guy friends, go to people who can hold that pain, that space and talk to them and process it with them. And then you can take the feelings and the emotions and the thoughts that you have after you've processed it with your, with your safe people. And then you can talk to your wife about it, but your wife is feeling the exact same things that you feel. And guess what? She's probably told you before and you just didn't want to hear it. So, so be really, be really careful. Your wife is your partner, not your a confessor. So go to the people who can hold your story. And if you don't have somebody, reach out to us because we will be glad to connect you personally and with other people who can be the safe community for you that you need to be emotionally honest about what's really going on this time of year. So thanks for joining us on another episode of We Got Balls. And so do you. Take care, guys. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.